You know, I'm trying to figure out an early start for the Islander game tonight in Ottawa. Uh, 5.30 puck drops. That means, uh, I, you know, what happens to my one of my favorite shows? Grime and Justice Radio on a Monday night, 6 to 7, by the great Bruce Barquette and Ida Lysenry. And uh, they'll be preempted with an island. Usually you have an island game starting, what, 7, 7.30, 5.30 tonight? Still, though, we want him on. A uh, couple of big cases we haven't spoken to him about since. His name is Bruce Barquette, managing partner of the great uh, Barquette Epstein in uh, Garden City. Sir, how are you? I'm great, and Aida's joined us as well. How you been? Hello. <laughs> you doing okay? Hi, Jay. It's Aida over here. There you go. I'm, I'm still a little discombobulated with we the, woke, the, we woke, we woke her up. the kids' wedding. Got her on the radio. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> but, but it is... It is good having you. A little preempt tonight with the Isles, uh, but uh, you know we'll focus in on who do you have in the in the coming days for next week. Uh, uh, first, uh, I want to get reaction on the Valva trial um, with the verdict. And I don't think we have spoken since. And uh, you know, top charge. You know, the jury I thought was going to be quick. It was. Uh, they came back, you know, the defense, uh, you know, wanted to get the, you know, maybe lesser charges put in play. Uh, nonetheless, uh, jury, you know, kind of heard a couple of different things, video and whatnot, saw some things, audio they heard. And uh, there you go as far as a quick deliberation. Aida, start with you. Give me a quick assessment down the stretch how it all turned out in your mind. Well, I don't think the verdict is surprising to anyone who's seen the evidence. But what's interesting is that um, the real debate was on the top count, and that's precisely what our partner John LaTurco set out to do, is challenge the top count. He actually conceded all the lesser included. This is the kind of case where there's no question that an individual is responsible for the death of another. But the question is what his intent was. I'm not sure they got it right, and certainly they were split. I understand that they all basically conceded the lesser-included charges, but when they took an initial vote on the murder, depraved indifference murder in the second degree, which carries the same sentence as murder in the second degree, intentional murder, uh, one said not guilty and five said they were unsure. So I think the bulk of the deliberation was spent precisely on that count. Uh, the jury analyzed it from the perspective of the day of, as opposed to the totality of Michael Valva's parenting of his son, Thomas. And they focused on what his conduct was that specific day, not the cumulative effect of all the love, all his care, his, you know, going to games, communicating with the school, bringing his kids to school, fighting for custody. Even text messages showed that when his wife or partner uh, said, you only took the kids to anger your ex-wife. He said, no, I love them. Um, so there's no question that he loved his children. Uh, but the jurors weren't persuaded by that. They looked at his conduct. They found factually that there was an hour delay in his calling 911. And they said they listened to the 911 and felt that he lacked any indicia of remorse. And that really did it for them. When uh, your partner 
John Leturco, you know, they try to enable the pit that they try to kind of paint a different picture. You know, the fact that he was under the controlled household of the former fiance and Angel Polina, you know, it was almost one of those he said, she said deals where, you know, basically he had to succumb to her rules or else, you know, going through this, this battle uh, with uh, his ex-wife and everything else, bringing the kids into into her household, uh, he, she basically stating, you know, a little too soft. You got to get a little more strict. But nonetheless, you know, it it looked to me very black and white. You know, very black and white, especially when the kids depicted as going to school in uh, in clothing, urine stained. You know, not clean. You know, going to school hungry. Scrounging for crumbs and garbage pails, bruises, lacerations at certain points. Very tough to go another way as far as the picture presented to the to that jury, Bruce Parquet. Well, Michael Valvo was, um, to put it mildly, not a, a good father. He mistreated the kids um, badly. Um, whether or not it rose to a depraved indifference murder, I think the verdict was a product of the overwhelming emotional um, cost or toll or depiction of uh, how the kids were treated over the course of time. And it seems that nobody could kind of control their emotions. Everybody looked at this and said, oh, my God, and they convicted them. Depraved indifference murder carries with it an element that you're indifferent as to whether or not death results. And there's no view of this, I don't think, that the father, Michael, was indifferent. Uh, he was clearly reckless, but both sons were treated the same. Only one died, which indicates that it, the, the conditions were bad uh, that day, but the, his death was a little bit of a, was unexpected to some degree, and, and stunning. And there was also ample testimony the father cared a great deal, was deeply uh, uh, hurt and wounded by the death of his son. So, uh, look, these kinds of cases are very, very tough because of the emotional element in it, and you can't overcome that. I, I, I liked that part of John's defense, where Aida and I are both very, our whole firm is really proud of the work that John did in terms of mounting as strong as defense as possible. Whether or not this case holds up on appeal, we'll wait and see, because I think there's a real uh, chance that it gets reversed because of that uh, indifferent, depraved indifference element or element. But I, um, I, I, I can't say I, I like the verdict. And I know I'm a little bit biased because John's my partner. But um, just looking at it from my perspective objectively, I just didn't think it was there. Now, other people, you were right, Jay. It was a quick verdict. Um, it was, you know, it was a long trial, and they deliberated only a few hours. Uh, the jury really didn't have a lot of trouble making up their mind. So we'll see what an appellate court does with it. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I mean, Aida, I was somewhat facetious the day of as far as being a quick one, you know, maybe an hour and a half after a beverage and sandwich uh, by those jurors in the uh, deliberation room. But uh, in, in essence, I really did think it was going to come in quick. Uh, and the the only thing I'll say is, um, as I mean, Bruce, you said it. I mean, he wasn't a good guy, and, and I think that's what the the jurors had in their mindset. 
you know, he wasn't a good guy. You know, when you hose a kid down outside in January uh, with a spigot, throw him in the garage and everything else, I mean, my goodness. Uh, listen, I, I understand it, uh, the, the grieving there afterwards and then feeling sorry, but the, the actual acts themselves presented to the jury by Valva himself at various points. A little too overwhelming, no? Yes. Every day when I would check in and not bother uh, Mr. John LaTurco and sort of review the headlines to see what the next witness testified to, you'd learn a new fact that seemed devastating. But then if you look deeper into the article and you looked at what came out on cross, that fact would be challenged. And a perfect example is, you know, initially the EMT witness testified that he showed no remorse, that he wasn't panicked, and everyone focused on that. And that's very typical of jurors and the general public to do is focus on the reaction of the parents or the reaction of the spouse um, in allegations of murder. And I think the, the strong focus and sort of exclusive focus on that as Bruce mentioned, is unfair to the elements of the law because there was a lot of evidence supporting that he was uh, not indifferent to the death of his son, his resuscitation, his panic in the house, um, his attempt to get him warm in the shower, which was foolish and contributed to his death, according to the defense expert who testified that his attempt to save his son's life actually caused his death. So it's, it's, a, it's kind of an ironic piece of evidence that supports the defense's uh, assertion that he was, uh, he did care about the life of his son. Um, but when you look at it overall and you look at the standard of care of that kid and you think about yourself and wait, you know, how you treat your kid, even in the, in the worst moment, uh, it's incomparable. And I think the jury couldn't get past that, as Bruce said. They were extremely emotional. They had trouble sleeping. You think the verdict was quick. They claimed they gave it the time it needed because it was so serious. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the result is not surprising. What surprised me most about the evidence was how much came out that challenged it. Um, it sounded initially, the defense, like a bad modernization of the Cinderella cruel stepmother movie or screenplay. Um, but in fact, there was a long, rich text history where he was pushing back on her punishment or training technique, and she was threatening to kick them out. And he had nowhere to go, and he was working full-time and struggling with two children that, uh, frankly, had um, serious conditions that made it a little more difficult to care for them. So I'm not trying to express empathy or sympathy for the way Michael Valva treated his kid, but if you look at it free of emotion and just look at the elements, I think there's a real challenge there. And Oturco is prudent to concede the lesser-included charges and fight, fight to the death for murder in the second degree. I mean, the only thing I'll say... Bruce, and we'll move on to Polina in a second, is, you know, Valva put himself in that position. And I understand you're reviving the kid or at least trying to in a warm bath uh, and everything else, but let's, let's, you know, make it black and white here. I mean, the reason why is he put that kid 
in a position of life and death. You know, I mean, I mean that kid suffered at the hands. Now, you want to tell me Polina responsible? We'll get into that in a second. But Valve is still the father here. He is still the father of these kids and had an opportunity to write this ship. He did not. And that's what the jurors saw. I mean, it was pretty black and white, yeah. especially when you have an eight-year-old. Yeah, yeah look, look, I'm, I'm a, I think I've mentioned this before on the air, I'm a father of a, a 10-year-old with Down syndrome. Um, and so the idea that, you know, a girlfriend or my spouse or whoever could make me mistreat my daughter is just insane. Um, and I, and I, I, my view was that if there's men on that jury, I don't care how they might actually react. There's no guy on the planet who thinks that you could be compelled by your girlfriend to mistreat your kids that way. And I just, regardless of whether or not the text messages were there, or what the dynamic of the relationship was, I just don't think that that was a, something that any jury was going to credit because he's a cop with a gun. Um, so it just, it just didn't fit. It doesn't fit with our common sense. It doesn't fit with our experience. It doesn't fit with how people believe individuals react. And I know it wasn't me there, but that I thought I thought that was the toughest part of the defense to try and convince a jury that it was really you know the the death was really the um, responsibility of the girlfriend who's not, not who, they're not her her sons. It's his sons. So I I, I didn't. I didn't think that was the strongest part of the defense. I thought the focusing on his grief afterwards and his attempts to save his son's life negated the depraved indifference elements. Kiddo, I idolize and ring crime and justice radio. You will not hear tonight. You have an Islander game starting at 530. You will hear them, though, next Monday. We'll get into that in a second. Speaking of the girlfriend, ex-fiance, uh, Aida, in Angela Polina, I mean, I'll say this. I do not expect anything different as far as what could be the outcome here. I just don't. Living in the same house, you're going to hear a lot of the he said, she said. You're going to hear a lot the fact that she is the one who directed Michael Valva into doing things based on the fact that this guy was really his back was to the wall, you know, and said, you know, listen, uh, if you don't like it, then get out. You know, if you don't like it, get out. He undergoing his own situations involved as far as uh, economics and whatnot, uh, and really no other choice. So she was maybe, maybe will be painted as the overall director of this whole thing. But nonetheless, uh, I don't see anything different that will come out of this. Maybe you do. I don't know. I, I think just purely on an acting in concert type of theory, she'll probably be convicted as well, and I also think jurors tend to punish a, a woman, especially a woman, because a woman supposed to have maternal instincts and be the voice of reason and nurture children, and she did far from that. But it's interesting because the evidence, in my view, showed that historically Michael Valva loved his kids, but he acted potentially depraved on that day. And here you might see the opposite of that. You'll see that she acted with praise and difference throughout the history of her parenting or her step-parenting the kids. But on the day of question, the defense will probably make use of isolated quotes. When he's hosing his son off outside, I, I believe she says something like, he's going to die of hypothermia. What are you doing? And warning him. 
Mm. And I think the famous quote he gave at trial was, oh, boo-hoo, poor little kid. And so she might come out as the voice of reason on the day in question and might survive a conviction of depraved indifference murder but get convicted of the lesser-included counts if they're able to get them. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Bruce, uh, upcoming trial, 2023 early, Angela Polina. Do you expect anything different here? I, I think that you're going to see uh, a Lady Macbeth prosecution. Uh, they're going to paint her as a a witch. Uh, the evil stepmother, as Aida said it, and, and I would not be surprised to see her go down and go down just as quickly as uh, uh, Michael did. Uh, these yeah. people have been vilified by the press, vilified by everybody. Um, you know, I, I just... I, you never know what a jury's going to do. That's why you you try the case. But I can't imagine that uh, she's going to fare any better. I I agree. A quick hit on the Tyler Flack trial, Ada Liza Ring. Um, this one was what I think six days as far as deliberations. The Ocean Oceanside Dean Cassine Morris, who was killed, the uh, the brawl. Uh, it's uh, outside of the school uh, strip mall parking lot. Uh, in which Tyler Flack, you know, had had the knife and plunged the knife into Cassine Morris twice, not once but twice, uh, into the hard region, thus killing him. Uh, and listen, uh, defense uh, tried to paint the picture, didn't mean to do it. Convict him on a lesser charge. We know that he is guilty of that, but not a top flight charge in which the jury found, you know what, he still put the knife in him. That's a weapon that's a tough one to defend right then and there, Ada. True, and it's interesting because, like in the Mount Michael Valva case, both defense attorneys took, you know, there was reasonable positions by defense attorneys where they're not requesting a full acquittal, but essentially telling the jury, I agree with the evidence. It shows manslaughter. It shows recklessness, um, but not murder in the second degree. And both times uh, the jury rejected that defense, which I thought was reasonable. What's interesting here is the the after-school fight. I believe the medical examiner, or at least the expert for the defense, indicated that really there was one stab wound. So it was a single stab wound, and one or two other wounds were considered superficial. And if that stab wound had been, you know, six inches, above or to the leg we wouldn't consider and the person had died we wouldn't consider that murder in the second degree so i think the placement um was important and critical to the jury um but i don't believe there was testimony that tyler flack himself understood um you know precisely where he was laying the knife um he deliberated for six days, which I thought was interesting, so I'd like to know what the jurors contemplated. And much like the Valva jury, they were probably contemplating the difference in the elements between manslaughter and murder in the second degree. If I'm sitting on that jury, that kid still had the knife, Tyler Flack, still had the knife, uh, regardless, and then plunged it twice into, uh, into Morris. I mean, that is kind of a picture in which the jury said, you know what? He killed him. He killed him with a weapon. He had the weapon on him. It was his choosing.
to have that weapon and to take out that weapon and to use that weapon. If I'm on that jury, that's how I would kind of see it. Yeah, you'd be a great prosecutor. He just would be great. He sounds just like the DAs that we do <laughs> on a regular basis. Uh, look, uh, stab wounds are, are 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 not often don't often result in death. Uh, single stab wounds. When you see stabbing murders, it's usually multiple stab wounds that end up killing somebody. Um, we we I've, we've had a few cases over the years. We have one now in another jurisdiction where single stab wound results in death. Uh, this case, uh, there's some background to this case that I don't think people know a lot about. He turned down a plea to manslaughter. Um, and, and he was going for criminal negligence homicide or an acquittal with some kind of justification defense. And uh, from what I gather from what happened in the courtroom, kind of some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, he was, uh, the defendant was a little bit, can I say cocky, might, might be the right word, a little bit arrogant, um, and kind of came off as a little bit too too smooth and too cool. And I, I think this is another case where his conduct, not so much the actual murder, but his conduct surrounding the event and his demeanor probably ended up costing him um, uh, a, a lesser-included offense. Um and you know that's a that, if you get offered a manslaughter with a reasonable number of years on a case like this, and you turn it down, you better have a really good justification defense because you're risking life in prison against a a, a set number of years. Uh, so it'll it'll be listen, you know that's that's tough. That's an excellent depiction as far as the cockiness. It I, to it, to me it, it definitely. Uh, added into the equation uh, without question. Now, tonight we got an Islander game. So, uh, no crime and justice, but who is on the docket, uh, Aida well, and Bruce, as far as going forward here? What we'll wants we, we, Well, I'll tell you what we're going to topics that we're going to talk, we're going to touch in the next few weeks. Whether or not, uh, which one we do next Monday, we'll, you'll have to talk to us next Monday, Jay. In order to find out, but we're going to do a little bit of free speech coming up uh, with all the the internet, uh, Twitter, and canceling, and you know, deplatforming people, and Elon Musk taking over. The ACLU and a few other groups have finally started to step up and it, it inquire about government pressure on Twitter and Facebook to deplatform people, which is really classic censorship. And we're also going to end up talking some more crime and justice and politics, sort of like we did last week, kind of a, a look back at um, um, the New York election and some others where crime and justice was really the center issue. Good stuff. We look forward to it. Lots of good shows. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, and there'll be some, some parole stuff, some conditions of supervision, I think, will come up in the week. That what we've been doing, which is we talk about issues uh, we hope from kind of an inside um you know people that really know what's going on and we hope to the topical and, and informative where we'll we'll see we've had several authors on we'll probably have some more sounds good we look forward to a lot of great stuff uh, coming our way in the next uh, couple of weeks i had a license ring Bruce Barkhead, the great firm Barkhead FC, and of course, Crime and Justice Radio, Monday evening, 6 to 7, folks. 
stellar. The word to describe the show, that's how it is. And uh, they have uh, each and every week, they give you some great, great, great guests every week. Uh, great topics of conversation without question. Can't thank you enough for a couple of minutes. 